they were a million dollar company for 17 years in a row. That's impressive. It's impressive. But after one year of uh, some automation, some revamping, it's $18 million company 18 months later. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Patch. Patch, thank you for being here with us today. You got it. Happy to be here. I'm super excited, peeps, because even our green room conversation was awesome. So <laughs> you have a ton of fun. So give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Um, well, let's see. Um, I am a marketing guy who got tired of having clients. <laughs> so I right? started my own stuff. Those clients get in the way. <laughs> Every oh, time the client vendor relationship is just that whole understanding of transactional business is just terrible. So um, I kind of switched from being an agency over to building our own stuff and been having way more fun doing that than building somebody else's stuff. Nice. Yeah. So, so building your own stuff, how do you, what stuff do you decide to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty industry agnostic. I just like um, building companies that I feel like I can move the needle pretty far, pretty quick. Uh, you know, my my perfect idea of getting into a company is getting into a company with the, with the initial expectations of getting out in less than two years, which most people are like, you can't get anything done in two years. But Patch I've can. just been, yeah, I've just been, <laughs> I've been able to do it um, in this weird, it's like a weird mix of doing, bringing a bunch of things to industries typically that have never done it before or doing it in a different way. But in this weird way, it's kind of like, if you know the model that works, could you overlay it onto an existing business? And I like to give this analogy, like... McDonald's, they got it worked out. They know how to do their thing. But what if you didn't actually change the burgers or the fries or the milkshakes? Could you take McDonald's, the process, could you take that and put it on any other burger company in the world and have it still work? And the answer is yes, you can, because they already know, like, there's so many things that, they have a system for that gives you a known outcome every single time. As long as you follow that process, you don't actually have to make the same exact thing. And I would even challenge that McDonald's process is so good. You could use it. Even if you didn't sell burgers, you could be selling donuts. You could be selling hot dogs. You could be, you could change the menu completely. As a matter of fact, you could change the direction of the drive through and put it in another country. Like you could do it over and over and over. And that's what I've kind of done. I've kind of figured out like this model that I know, as long as I stay within some, at least most of the confines of it, it's going to work. And uh, 
this is this is an interesting topic. I just had this discussion with somebody else, but I'm curious to, to see what you think about it. Just because you talk to a lot of business people. So I challenge that there are certain things in business that we know 100% of the time you have to have, right? You have to have, you have to have a product that people are going to buy that has some kind of value. You have to have some way to deliver that product and they know it's the same product. If they ordered it twice, they would get the same thing, right? Um, you have to have some way to um, to address those people through either customer service or admin staff or whatever. And you have to have sales and those sales have to turn a profit that eventually makes more money than the amount of money that you started with, right? Those are all fundamental core things every business has to have, right? So that being said, why are there such ideas that were carried from the past that people now still believe you have to have in order to be successful? I'll give you one example of that and then I'll, 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 I'll let you answer the question. So I say niches are for bitches. I'd rather pick a vertical and drive it, you know, forever. But the whole idea of niching down was something that happened after World War II when they were like, hey, how do we get all these excess military members into jobs? So they streamlined manufacturing, right? And the easiest way to train one dude or 600 dudes in a factory was to we're going to do one thing in this factory and only that one thing and then we can put people in there very quickly and take off almost all of the most successful business books that everybody turns to when they want to start a business today were written in the 50s the 60s the 70s the 80s rarely does anybody say other than maybe the four hour work week, when does anybody incorporate into their, into their business model, this little thing we call the internet that happened to come around a couple years back, might've heard of it. Nobody adjusts their model to incorporate the internet as the base of the business. It's always like, an afterthought. Oh, we need an online business card called a website instead of, Hey, let's design this thing on the web, this thing on the internet called a website that is an actual employee that does work that you know, like, you know what I mean? Like everybody, it seems like people come up with these models and they're all based on books and ideas they get from books that happen way in the past. Well, is that crazy or what? Eight factors. One, nobody reads book anymore <laughs> two Kindle. rarely do people write books anymore three sure. when the likes of bezos writes a book he's writing about what's going on now and his successes and all the things that are powerful and wonderful which your startup person it's it's almost irrelevant what he's yeah. doing in his business now because yeah. he need that startup dude needs to know what he did back then and yeah. what he did back then it probably isn't what he would have done if he were to start over and do it again Third, um, they have done it, but I think SaaS companies took on the online world and honed it into a marketing machine. You can mm -hmm. take almost any SaaS company and put it in that machine and it will hum like a Lamborghini. Um, mm -hmm. And I think people are having issues 
translating that into their business. One, if it's not a SaaS company, then it doesn't really pertain kind of sort mm-hmm. of like in three or five. <laughs> the, um, there's a lot of people online. Well, there's a lot of people online that say, hey, just use my thing and it'll work. And it doesn't really work. It works if you have all of the elements that they have. Mm-hmm. Like if you have sold $20 billion worth and you did all these successes and you have your Lamborghini, then you can sell your thing exactly like I do. Well, dude, if yeah. I had all those things, I wouldn't need your stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's the yeah. frustration that they're looking at. Three, nobody puts out the manuals for the SaaS companies and what that thing is. You kind of have to go through their process figure out what that thing is and then go and do that thing and it works uh, or pay a gazillion dollars for them if you really want to. And if you had the gazillion dollars, we're back into the same problem as number five. And number six, if somebody's selling tomato juice online, it doesn't really have the same, um, you can't really do use the same system as you would if you were a SaaS company. Like there's little tweaks and nuances you, you kind of have to sort of do because you're, you know, you're doing a different but doesn't mean to say that you can't take somebody that hasn't successful at a Amazon sales and go and do your tomato soup or whatever it is you're selling. So I think there's a whole lot of issues in that. However, I do think there's a lot of elements to business that are pragmatic that a lot of entrepreneurs, because they don't, they have a good idea. They look at their boss and they go, wow, you're an idiot. Okay. I can do this. <laughs> they go out, they start their own company and they don't really understand the fundamentals of business. Um, I believe that most business owners are actually because CEO is like one of the easiest titles in the world to get. As a matter of fact, you don't even need LLC. You could go down for $25 at your local town hall and get a business license. Right. Um, so I think it's one of the easiest titles to get, but I would say a vast majority of business owners are exactly that they're business owners that happen to be artists. They, they can do something They can, you know, make websites or Excel spreadsheets or motorcycles or dog cages or whatever, uh, cookies, crackers, biscuits, but they're not actually business operators. They're, they're not true. We call them functional entrepreneurs. They're not people that actually understand the function of business and therefore you can do it over and over and over. There's certain things that when you get into that world, there's no way in hell I'm going to own a business attached to my social security number, right? Like there's just like, there's fundamental things that you learn along the way that um, makes you an operator of a business. Even if you're never in the day to day of the business, you don't visit the company you, but you're still an operator. It's like, um, uh, I'm going to put, well, I would say, I would say, I would say you brought up E-Myth. I would say that Michael Gerber's original idea, one of the best selling books published in like 197 countries in 70 languages. Um, I would say it's a, it's a mega outdated book. Oh, Here's it, the reason why. Even to him. Yeah. It, well, I, I don't, well, okay. Yeah, he uh, did revisit I, it and he's wanted to do it again. Um, but keep in mind, he's like 80 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, because he's, and talking, he's going, he, you know, it doesn't he, apply to TikTok necessarily. <laughs> yeah, he talks about working in it or on it. I think there's a third level, which is above it, right? I think you, I think there are people that you still need working in it and you still need people working on it. But I think that you can work above it where you work more as a consultant for your company than you do as 
an actual, but that that's still an operator though. Like you still have to be the push. She talks about three, but we won't go there. <laughs> what, we'll go to the, you because what's I, the three? I, it, it is, you have the admin uh, on, on the business in the business and the, and the, um, the business operation. So he, he is kind of, and he's looking at it like initially you have to be, figure out how to have be all three if you're going to be a solopreneur. And yeah. you have to figure out how to get out of your business and replace all three without abdication. So it's delegation, yeah. not abdication. And, yeah. and then you can run them. Yeah. I, I just, I, I feel like there's, there's these, um, there's these, misnomers that happen based mm -hmm. off of you know books that were written a long time ago and and where business actually operates today like for example uh here, I'll, I'll give you another example um automations people still think are like a nice to have you know like <laughs> it'd be cool if i could do that one day mm -hmm. whereas most true like functional entrepreneurs they know that that's part of the initial part of business like you can't you can't do it anymore without those things and and remain competitive at a at a really high level well and i think too that there's a a lot of entrepreneurs go in to replace their income they really do go in to just buy themselves yeah. a job but they're not honest with themselves yeah. so they try and create these really complex systems to say hey one day i'm going to be a business owner and it's like no, dude, you're just going to replace your income and, right. you know, and that, nothing wrong with that. Just like be happy with it and quit spending money on shit you don't need. Yeah, be okay that you started the business to make money and you didn't have an ultimate goal above that. You didn't have, you know, this mission statement to change the world and you wanted to be your own boss and nobody could tell you what to do. Totally cool. Like awesome. you don't have to start a business because your why is, you know, change the world uh, for everybody. You can just be like, look, I want to make, hundred thousand dollars a year and nobody can tell me what to do and and that's totally that should be totally cool no oh, exactly and i think there's a different model when you have the intention of being able to create an asset that can be sold that can be that can go for an uh an ipo or can be sold for a million dollars or a billion dollars yeah. in some cases but it's a totally different model there are certain models that just aren't scalable and nobody's going to buy your business because it's not scalable yeah. And you need to understand that from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what's <laughs> also really funny is that lots of people that start businesses have no idea how to build the business to make it more sexy for other people to come in and buy. Mm -hmm. So what they're what they end up doing is <laughs> they treat their business like like a yard sale. Right. Like I'm a hold one on Saturday and people are going to show up and they're going to buy all my shit. And it never happens like that. It right. never happens like that. So when, when it comes to, cause I think one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize is that there are stages of a business and there are different types of entrepreneur, right? Somebody that likes starting up businesses, isn't going to like business when it gets to that um, rinse and repeat stage. Yeah, and somebody like, that loves that rinse and repeat stage and scales it isn't going to like the exit because they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with the takeovers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, so talk to me about how you see the different entrepreneurial, um, I don't know if I want to call them phases of a business or yeah. 
mindsets that you look towards business? How do you articulate that? So I built and sold five companies from scratch. And although I liked it, I didn't love it. Um, to me, it's like the difference between, um, you know, people that like to come up with this brilliant idea of a, I don't know, a tree house. And they, they, they love the, the idea of, of crafting it and bringing it to life and all that. Whereas there's other people that just want to buy a tree house. Like they want to go in a catalog and they want to buy. It. And then there's this third type of person who wants to hire a builder to build it with all the key features that, that they have me. I'm another type of person. Whereas I really hate coming up with ideas for what a company should be and then implementing that from, okay, what's the name going to be? Okay. What's the initial logo going to be? What's the website? What's the color palette going to be? Like, I hate that kind of stuff. What I'd rather do is go to an old, a old like tree house and, and see what I'm working with and then be like, dude, we could do this and we could put in a slide and we could do this and I'll get this person to come replace the roof and I could get this person to come decorate it all up. And I would rather do that. I would rather like fix them and flip them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> fix them and flip them. Um, then uh, to go out and try to come up with brand new ideas. There's two, there's two fun fundamental things that I, uh, I'm acutely aware of. One is I have a unique personality where I can, I can read data, but I can also have a conversation. What? what? But I know, I know, <laughs> uh, I can do a little bit of coding. Um, I can build, you know, some websites. I know SEO, um, but I can also do sales models and I can also do, um, you know, I, I can be a sales guy, right? Um, here's the, here's the weird part about this. And, and this is, um, my first world struggle to carry is that I get freaking bored, right? I just get bored. And I know that there's people out there that have this killer, unique quality about them that they can, you know, get into something and do like printer ink for 35 years and build this massive, you know, company that is world known for being the printer ink cartridge replacement thing. I don't have it in me. Like, I just, I can't do it. I, I would, I pull out my hair. Like I can't do it. I, I got about two good years in me and I'm going to be full tilt for those two years. But after that, I gotta, I gotta do something else. And so what it's taught me is I, you really have to, you really have to identify who you are and then lean into that so that you're always in your power zone. Like you can be super honest with yourself and know what you like and what you don't like, and then craft your world like you would a business to meet the needs of what, what, where you really are the strongest. 
and then you hire for whatever you're the weakest at or partner or do whatever because there's somebody else that has your weakness as a skill. And my world pretty much changed drastically when I got my um, CPA who like he changed everything about finances for me. I was in a weird situation where, you know, I, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 and I didn't write my first check until I was in my thirties because I'd never needed to. Right. I, like somebody told me when I joined the Marine Corps, Hey, if you go down to the admin department and you take them your bill, they'll pay the bill for you every time on time. And when you get your check in the, in the bank, that's all your money to spend. Your bills are paid. And so like, I'm 30 plus years old going, how do you write this again? Like, I kind of remember from 20 years ago, but like, uh, so I just, I think if we're, if you're really, really honest with yourself and you're like, Hey, what do you like about business? And what do you not like about business? What do you, what do you like spending your time on? And what do you, you know, what are you wasting your time on? Cause you're just not good at it from a core skill level and, and fundamental understanding level, then you almost always do the things that you're that actually push the needle forward, which means you're also pretty happy about it, right? Like you, you don't have this. I mean, we all do things in business that we don't love. Right. But there are some necessary evils that you just can't get away from. But I think you can, 90 to 95% of the time stay in the things that you really super enjoy. And because of that, um, I've, I've kind of built this apparatus, this, this thing that I, you know, can wield around and I can locate businesses that I think, Oh, I could do this, 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 and this, and somebody else will love it. And that's kind of the way I craft that. I craft it more like, like I'm a, you know, a, a car restoration guy. And I know the kind of, I know the kind of cars that would, that other people are looking for, right? Those, those 76 Chevelles. And, you know, like I know what is, if, if I could get these five or six things done, somebody's really going to appreciate this thing. And that, those are the kinds of things that I go after staying pretty industry agnostic. Cause I could do tree houses or I could do cars or I could do, you know, garages, whatever. So really you need somebody that is in the habit of being the proverbial junkyard of, you know, they've come up with all of these ideas and started them all and created something, but, you know, just can't kind of take it to that next level. You guys yeah. make a great partner and just go around it, and go, it's, hey. it's like you're going to the swap meet of businesses out there. There you go. Right. And you're, you're saying, man, this, cause have you ever been to a real life swap meet? Have you ever been to, mm -hmm. to like one of the, the bazaars or whatever? There's some awesome. incredible, awesome, like artists out there that do just like really, really cool stuff. They don't know how to run a business though. But if you could, if I gave this, uh, I give this to a, a group of, of people. Do you believe that you could, if you saw a, 10 year old running a lemonade stand. Do you know in your heart, based off the, all the things that you all experience in your life, no matter how good their lemonade stand is, you could probably walk down there and do something to make it better. You know, and if, because we're 
a little older than a 10 year old, we probably could also drive some additional traffic that was just word of mouth. Like we don't have to run Facebook ads on this thing. We could just <laughs> tour the neighborhood. Right. Like, and, and so like, that's the idea. I I'm not talking down on people, but some people just don't even know what they don't know. Just like that 10 year old, mm-hmm. right. They bought Kool-Aid by the pack or lemonade by the pack. Whereas we might be able to go to the manufacturer and get it way cheaper by buying in bulk. Maybe they bought the expensive plastic, but it doesn't mean the quality went up, right? Or styrofoam cups or whatever. But maybe we could add in tumblers, right? Maybe we could maybe we could upgrade the total service, even though the core thing is just how well they can make lemonade. There's some other things that happen in business that they probably just don't even, they don't even know what questions to ask. And those are the things I like finding. I like finding the ones where there's some piece of it that's special and, you know, unique. And it's got a, it's got a, a new twist on an old thing or an old twist on a new thing, or, you know, there's, and then here's another one I love doing is bringing technology to industries that don't typically have it right. Roofing companies, plumbing companies, fireplace companies, like industries that have not been touched by technology before. And then overlaying things like, you know, apps where the service department is actually sending before and after pictures. Um, and then we're sending them a thank you card with the, with a video that is like, this was your installation and you can share this at all your family memories in the future. Right. <laughs> and like people are, are confused by that happening. But the online presentation that comes with that, you just dominate everybody else. Like there's just no competition. Nice. So clearly companies that have been established kind of pre-1980 and on are (laughs) prime real estate for you. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. yeah. By a long shot. Blue collar things, um, are tremendous. I mean, Insane. We we did a um, we did a, a roofing company roll up. Oh, it was so easy to make that thing go ultra big really quickly. Um, we did one for a national car uh, car wash um, brand, and like simple silly little things like local schema. Right. Local SEO uh, stuff, um, landing pages for each one of the locations, like simple things that to the, to the owner, though, to the owner, they were just interested in picking the corner where traffic happened. Nothing else, because that's what gave them success before. But the, the owner was like, go to work, bib overalls and boots every day clean the, you know, inside of the car wash, collect the quarters. That was the extent of their business understanding. When we did this though, and we did all these new things and you get a 6,000% increase in a 12 month time frame, they're oblivious to how it even happened. I mean, they're, they're, they're along for the ride. You know what I mean? Like they, they understand that it's happening but like all the individual components, um, I'll give you another really great one. So I know that uh, I, I know a guy who is really 
probably in the in the special forces, uh, high end military, high end uh, police organizations. Um, he's known as like kind of the grandfather of custom knives, pocket watches, or um, I'm sorry, pocket knives, right? Mm-hmm. This guy does not care about Facebook. He doesn't care about Google. He doesn't care about anything. He was completely content to go out in his workshop and create a one-off custom knife that was perfect. Everything beyond that did not care and was open about not caring. They did a, they were a million dollar company for 17 years in a row. It's impressive. It's impressive. But after one year of uh, some automation, some revamping, it's $18 million company 18 months later. Nice. <laughs> right? Nice. That, you can't do that all the time, but. But when you when can, you it's never, fun. <laughs> when you never email your past customers and you've got 20 years of past purchasers that you've never talked to again. When you can do things like acquire a company that can do the, the CNC part of like, if, I, if you could build a perfect model, look, make this thing and you could send that to a CNC company, get CAD drawings and then crank out 120 of them at a time instead of one per day. Right. If you could acquire another company that did the sides and the sides of the knife only, and you can incorporate that. And now you are not running out of inventory every other week. Right. Like those kinds of things. Um, they used to have wait lists. This is, uh, it was crazy to me when I first heard it. So they would, um, they would put on Facebook that they were coming out with a new knife and they'd show pictures of it and they'd send everybody to an unpixeled, web page to to join the list and in what order you join the list is whether you got it or not they had 30 of them they would have 7000 people come sign up and they would sell 30 and then they wouldn't make that thing again they'd wait another month design another knife and do another 30 oh my god <laughs> yeah exactly so oh, yeah. Clearly, I'm in the wrong business because <laughs> this is like this is a fascinating conversation for me, and this yeah. stuff lights me up because I mean it's 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 crazy. We had a contract once; they had 180,000 past clients that they had never reconnected with before. We Man, ended up, nuts. yeah, making them, yeah. <laughs> it was like it's nuts. It's crazy, but here's the thing: if you if you can find those people that are artists and they just want to be artists and they just want to go create their thing. Great. You go do that. Let me take care of all this other stuff that you're not paying attention to. And you just keep cranking out that thing. Right. Wow. So when you work with somebody, are you like the profit you come in and have a contract with them and kind of build it up, take your share, fair share, or do you acquire the companies and, and blow them up? Not I acquire equity and yeah. happily. <laughs> I acquire okay. equity. Yeah. Cause I'm not, um, I don't, I, I try to do these like affiliate type things and profit sharing and revenue sharing and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what inevitably I've never seen one of those, uh, end well, right. Somebody's pissy. So 
um, I just decided, hey, you know, we're, I, I'm either going to acquire equity up front, we're going to build this thing together and have an exit together or not. And I'm okay with not. I got plenty of uh, plenty of options, so I'll I'll keep looking for the ones where I can do that. And then I feel like there's way more there's way more skin in the game. I guess there's way more you know unit cohesion. I'm not a I'm not a solo player. I don't I don't do that well. Um, I wrestled in high school, but but that was about about the extent of it. I like team things. I like playing football. I'm not a tennis guy or a golf guy. I'm definitely a a football, you know, be on a, be on a cool team, um, guy. So I lean into that and that's part of, you know, our equity, um, holdings in the company also give us a lot to win and a lot to lose. So. Well, and both are good because a lot of times I see, you know, people are in this phase where they go, Oh, this is my, this is the only idea I'm ever going to have. And it's like, well, that's not true, but okay. I get that. And then there's other people that go like, I have this idea. It's not getting me where I want to go. And I have this other idea I really want to build on. They would be perfect partners for you because they're ready to have somebody like you come in and, you know, put your mojo on it. And that then allows them to go and do that other idea that they have, which could potentially then be another good idea for you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. And here's, here's the crazy thing about that. The first company that I truly acquired was a company that got, they were, they were a marketing client and they got behind on the bill and they weren't going to catch up on the bill. (laughs) And we weren't doing a lot of things because they couldn't pay for it. And I was like, Hey, how about I wipe this bill clean? We actually team up, we partner on this thing and I'll go do all the things that you've never been able to afford that I know would move the needle. 18 months later, we sold that company. So it's like, there's, there's a, there is this weird spot where, Companies can't afford to have whole teams come in to do all the things that we're going to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be 200 grand a month pretty easily, right? Like nobody can pay for that. But if I can burden some of that weight as part of my, you know, equity uh, as part of my investment to get it up to where it needs to be, then we can both enjoy the exit together and, you know, prepping the company for that exit. That's an art and a skill in and of itself. Like, most people just go to brokers. I'm not poo-pooing brokers. So anybody out there that's a broker, don't get don't get upset. But I will also say there is a hell of a lot more money when you're doing a big sale and you don't have a bunch of people pulling out between the, you know, pulling part of the profits out, like broker fees and attorney fees and you know, the list goes on and on third party value validation and all those other things that go into that. That's a lot of fees. It can be up to 25, 30, 40, 50% of that total sale, the profit from the sale after you pay off, you know, any existing lines of credit or, you know, credit cards or whatever you were holding as a balance there. You could be talking about 50% less than if you knew how to exit, you had a pool of people that were willing to buy companies that, you know, you kind of had on tap, it's a hell of a lot more profitable to not go the broker route, not have to, you know, foot those other fees. Nice. Love that. So is there any kind of an exact person that you might be looking for? Somebody listening to, so they can self-identify and go, Oh my God, patch, we got to talk. <laughs> um. Well, it's funny. You said, 
earlier, this business is my baby. If your business is your baby, I'm out. <laughs> um, but, you know, really companies that, you know, are doing well, like they, they've got some market penetration, meaning that they, they have sold something and didn't get a bunch of refunds. I'm not in the startup game. Like startup game is not me. Um, but, you know, if you have a company that's a, that has been existing for a while, got some market penetration, you understand, you know, what a customer is, what their lifetime value is, how often do they buy, like that kind of stuff. And I would say somewhere between the three to eight million dollar range, like that's my, that's kind of my sweet spot. Um, yeah, this is probably a good fit. Cool. And is there anything that would not fit like a dentist that's still working in their own practice or a. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I think anything that is in startup mode, anything that is uh, you're the dancing bear where if you stop working, everything else crumbles and falls, probably not a good fit. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's not exceptions to that. Meaning like if it was a dentist that currently today is thinking, well, shit, in five years, I should probably start thinking about retiring. Don't wait the five years. Let's go acquire some other dentist companies and grow a conglomeration and then let's sell that in two years. Right. There's there's some other there's some other ways to do it. <laughs> I love that. Well, and it kind of cracks me up because I think a lot of people that are the head technician in their businesses think, well, I'm so good at it, nobody could replace me. And and they just so the only way that you can say that is if you were okay with also saying I'm a terrible leader <laughs> because if you can't clarify the mission, the, your intent, the commander's intent of that and the end state and build a process to where they don't have to think about it. They can get to a known outcome as part of a process. You got to say you're a bad leader. And if you're okay, like if you can say, look, I'm a terrible leader and you can sleep at night, great. But you can't say, cause you're not the best in the world. And here's another fun fact for you. No business is special. It's not special. If it's special, it's probably not going to be big, right? Like you probably are not going to make money at a very special business, right? Like if I had a business that had a service of sliding pancakes under doors, yes, that is very unique. Am I going to make any money? Probably not. However, if I made a door company and a pancake company, I could probably make a lot of money. So if I, there are people, there are unique people in this world that they have this idea that if they serve, if, if their heart is drawn to serving other people that you can't also make money doing that, which is a weird thing. Why, how does that work? <laughs> like that, to me, that does not compute to other people. Uh, they've, they've never really touched. They've really never tapped into how a thing can be good for the community and be good for your wallet and be scalable and have other people that can do exactly what you do and probably do it better because you wrote it down. They can follow it. And then if you don't micromanage them and you allow them to enhance the process, they're going to look at something a different way than you do and say, Hey, these six steps in the middle, I know how to do that in one step and get the same known outcome. But unfortunately, 
people that own companies in many, uh, in many cases, they also believe that they have to own everything about the process and they have to own, they have to be the, the, the doorkeeper at innovation or ingenuity or initiative or, you know, any kind of other artistic value. And what they do is they smother their business and they smother the people in their business and they don't have people that stay very long. Whereas if you would just take a step back and be like, okay, this is what I need to happen at the end. Here's the process. Feel free to enhance that in any way that you see possible. As long as the benchmark is here or above, let's do more of that. And what happens is you would be surprised how many people come up with some incredible new ideas that you've never thought about that legitimately drive your business forward, but probably also bring on other income streams using the same exact people that you already have, which is even cooler. Right. Well, and I think it's kind of like Rolex figured out a way to take a Swiss watchmaker, the best of the best, and create a product and a service that is replicatable. Yeah. Like clearly at every scale. Rolex isn't yeah. handmade. <laughs> yeah. Do it at scale and maintain at least some level of quality that is perceived to be higher than the next watch company. Nice. I love it. Well, I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Uh, patchbaker.com or find me on uh, LinkedIn. That's uh, two best places to find me. Nice. Love that. So, I have to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Uh, I tr stumbled, tripped, and fell into it by accident. I did not know I was going <laughs> this direction. <laughs> um, as I think most entrepreneurs do. Like, You can think that you want to be an entrepreneur one day, but how you actually start it typically is, one, you get fired, <laughs> or two, you... you uh, you have this unique, crazy streak about you. I, I didn't have that. I mean, I, I, I got sure into a complete crazy, accident. I'm a couple shades of crazy, but I, um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that I was going this way. I had a buddy of mine that was like, Hey dude, I make the, I make, he made videos. He was like, I'm, I can make these really good videos, but I don't, I, I can't sell them. I was like, well, shit, I can sell them. So that was the plan. And that's how the first, first comedy started. <laughs> nice. Love that. Pat, you have been absolutely awesome. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Any last words for our peeps? Nope. I'm, I'm happy that you uh, had me on the show and happy to come back. Appreciate You're it. Tapping out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and join our Facebook group, Business Ownership Secrets to Scaling, because we'd love to connect with you and help you grow. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.